turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. Hi, Pastor Dale O'Shills here from Church of the Redeemer. We want to invite you to be a part of Easter this year at our church. We're so excited about our Easter presentation. It's the life of Jesus through the eyes of Mary, and it happens April the 6th through the 9th. We have nine different presentations of this live, amazing drama that you don't want to miss. Tickets are available for you online at church-redeemer.org or at redeemereaster.com. Redeemereaster.com is a great place to get your free tickets. All the tickets are free, and there are nine different presentations. And We want to see you because we know this story is going to change your life. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. I want to talk to you about the importance of having a gracious heart. In just a moment, we'll take a look at an amazing story that helps us to see the graciousness of David's heart. But I want to lay for you a foundation, and there are three points that I will share with you in today's teaching. First of all, we must understand that our God is a gracious God. David learned the graciousness of his life through his relationship with God, because he learned by his experience with God that God was gracious, God was kind. And if you and I are going to learn this principle, this truth, this characteristic of graciousness in our lives, we have to have an example. We have to have someone or something to look to that teaches us and helps us to see what it really does look like. And David spent lots of time with God. In fact, much of the book of Psalms, 150 chapters, or many of those chapters that were written by David in his experience with God out, on the, out in the Judean wilderness, taking care of his father's sheep and going through times of difficulty as Saul was trying to kill him. And David pressed into his relationship with God and he learned about God. He learned that God was a true God and God was a righteous God. He learned that God always kept his promises. He learned that God was the all-powerful God, the ever-present God, and the all-knowing God. He was the eternal God. He was the transcendent God and David learned that God was the gracious God. God of grace and a God of love and a God of mercy. And time and time again, As you see David writing in the Psalms, as he describes all these different aspects of God's nature, he often comes back to the graciousness of God. As I was preparing this weekend's message and looking at a variety of passages related to David's revelation of the graciousness of God, I discovered there were so many of them, there's no way that I could share all of them with you today, but I will give you just a little sample of three of them as David gets this revelation of God's grace. Psalm 86, verse 15, but you, Lord... Are This is who you are, a compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. David says, I've learned who you are, God, and who you are is that you are a compassionate and gracious God. Psalm 103, verse 8, he describes again, the Lord is, what is he? This is his nature. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. Aren't you glad that God is slow to anger and abounding in love? 
love. Aren't you glad that as David declared, he is a compassionate and gracious God? Psalm 11, 111 verse 4 says, he has caused, God has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is. He declares this affirmatively. Here, here is God. He, this is who he is. He is the gracious and compassionate God. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. David's awareness of the nature, the gracious nature of God's heart affected the development of his own heart. David became gracious because he learned that God was gracious. We find an amazing example of this grace coming out of David that he learned from God and an amazing, incredible story about one particular person that David reached out to and extended grace to. And that story is found in 2 Samuel chapter 4 and in 2 Samuel chapter 9. In just a moment, we'll read some verses, but I need to lay the historical foundation so you'll understand what these verses were all about. When God chose David to be the second king of Israel, he was anointed by Samuel, but Saul had not yet died, and Saul continued as the king of Israel for a period of time, and during that period of time, Saul became very jealous of David and tried to kill him. So David has to run for his life. Ultimately, Saul, the first king of Israel, was killed in a battle with the Philistines, as well as his son, Jonathan, was killed in a battle as well. And so Jonathan and Saul, Saul and Jonathan, are dead by the time we get to chapter 4 of Second Samuel. While Saul was an enemy of David, Jonathan was a friend of David. Jonathan loved and cared for David. He cared for him by recognizing the fact that there was an anointing upon David's life. And while Jonathan was the heir apparent to the throne, he was the son of the king. He certainly was in line to become the next king, but he realized that the anointing was not on him to be the king. And so he actually pushes David forward and he protects David's life. And because of that, David established a covenant with Jonathan. Jonathan was a tremendous friend to David. And we come to 2 Samuel chapter 4 and we see now that Saul is dead and Jonathan is dead and they're just learning the news of this in Israel. And let me read now the story for you. 2 Samuel 4 verse 4, Jonathan son of Saul had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, he fell and became disabled his name was Mephibosheth. Would you say his name with me? His name was Mephibosheth. A very important name that we'll come back to in a moment. I want you to fast forward with me several years now. Saul, Jonathan, obviously are dead. We've got this young boy. He was five years old when this happened to him. He's living in a particular place now. Continue to live as the grandson of King Saul, the son of Solomon, the son of Jonathan. And David is sitting in Jerusalem and he's in his palace and he's thinking about some commitments he's made in his past. And we come to chapter 9 now as this time has passed. And let's see what happens with David. And let's begin to see the graciousness of David's heart. David asks, he's sitting in his palace and he asks the question, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for the sake of Jonathan, for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. 
Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Mekir, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Let's stop there for a moment because, as surely as you need to recognize this young man's name, Mephibosheth, you need to understand where he was living. He was living in the house of Mekir in a place called Lodabar. So, where did Mephibosheth live? In a place called Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Machir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I've given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson will be may be provided for and Mephibosheth grandson of your master will always eat at my table now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants then Ziba said to the king your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do so Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth Here's some things you need to notice about this story. At five years of age, Mephibosheth suffered a traumatic, uh, a traumatic injury. When the news came from Jezreel that his grandfather Saul had been killed and his, son, and his father Jonathan had been killed, of course they were concerned that uh, those who were perhaps heirs to the throne would be killed as well. And so they, they were quite concerned about this and the nurse grabs up this five-year-old little boy and begins to run and somehow he fell out of her hands. Maybe she tripped and fell, but whatever the case was, he became crippled and lame in both of his feet. He had no way to take care of himself for the rest of his life. He is a disabled young man. And so he's going to live at the mercy and the care of other people, the benevolence of people around him. So he's a suffering young man. He was given the name Mephibosheth. Oftentimes in the Bible, these names have great meaning to us. Not all, but many of these names have great meaning. And this is true in this case. Mephibosheth is a name that literally means from the mouth of shame or a shameful thing. So he's given this name. He's a crippled young man, and somebody identifies or labels him as a shameful thing from the mouth of shame. And so he lives his whole life carrying this name, I'm nothing but a shameful thing. His hometown, when we first meet him here in Scripture, is in a place called Lodabar. And Lodabar, that name is significant as well because it means a barren place. Actually, literally in the Hebrew, it means a no place, a no thing place. There was nothing there. He's from the house of Makir, which means he was, that word Makir means it was, a, it was a salesman. It was the kind of person that perhaps he was sold into an environment there in a very low place of barrenness in his life. He's sad, he's lost, he's helpless, and he's hopeless. He's living in a depressed state. But when David found out about Mephibosheth, the Bible says he wanted to show him kindness. Would you say that word with me? Kindness. David said, I want to find someone from the house of Jonathan because I've got some kindness in me 
that I want to show to somebody. There's something in me that's not going to be satisfied until it gets out of me. There's something in me that needs to go beyond me to somebody else. I need to show something to someone, and I need to show kindness. And that Hebrew word for kindness is a very significant Old Testament word. It's the word hesed in the Hebrew language. And the word hesed means far more than than kindness as we think of it. You can be kind by just saying hi to someone. No, this is not that word. It's not that meaning. It goes much deeper than that. The word kindness is a word that literally means the loving kindness, the mercy, and the grace of God. It was a word that was always used in reference to personally getting involved to assist someone who needed assistance in a significant way. In fact, this word hesed, the grace, the mercy, the loving kindness of God, is actually the counterpoint to shame. And so here David is going to extend kindness or the hesed of God to counterpoint or counteract the shame that this young man has lived in to this point in his life. Now, where did David learn this kindness? Where did David discover this beautiful thing called the hesedness, if you will, of God, the grace and mercy of God? He learned it by his own experience with God. David had experienced God's love and God's mercy and God's grace in his life. He had learned God. He had gotten to know God. And I would submit to you this morning that knowing God is the starting point to showing kindness and graciousness to other people. You've got to know him if you're going to show him. If you don't know him, you can't show him. And sadly, we have a lot of people living in our world today that claim the name of Jesus, claim the name of Christ, and maybe attend church from time to time, but they haven't gotten to know the God of mercy, the God of grace, the God of kindness, and so they don't know what to show because they don't know him well. And so if you and I are going to show the right things of God through our life, we've got to know him well. David knew God, so he showed his nature to other people. And one of the greatest expressions of God in and through your life is living in the grace of God and extending his grace to other people. So we must understand that God, our God, is a gracious God. And David discovered graciousness by his encounters with God. Here's our second thing today. Grace always changes the way you think and the way that you act. When you begin to experience God's grace in your life, it's going to change the way you think and the way you act. Let's go back to the story here just for a moment. And you'll see that in the story of Mephibosheth, there's a mention multiple times of Mephibosheth's father. His name was Jonathan. And take a look with me at verse 1 of Second Samuel chapter 9. Let's see what's going on here in the story and what prompted David to demonstrate this kind of kindness. David asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Would you say that phrase with me? For Jonathan's sake. David was motivated to show kindness to Jonathan or to Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake. Now, no one in Saul's family deserved any kindness. Jonathan was already dead. If anyone deserved kindness, it was only Jonathan, and he's now dead. 
Saul certainly didn't, didn't, did not deserve, or Saul's family did not deserve any kind of kindness from David. There was no obligation on David's part from the standpoint of just a familial thing to extend kindness to the family. In fact, they deserved the opposite. Families of, of, of kings were normally, uh, former kings were normally assassinated or, or, or killed, murdered to get them out of the way. But David's commitment to helping someone from Saul's family was based on a covenant he had established with Jonathan. This is extremely important. You can go back to 1 Samuel chapter 20 and read about this covenant that David had with Jonathan because Jonathan had been kind to David. David established a a covenant with Jonathan. And so it's all on the basis of this covenant with Jonathan that David says, I want to be kind to one of Jonathan's sons. Is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I can show kindness, hesed to for the sake of Jonathan? So Mephibosheth, this is important to the story, he's going to be and is rescued from barrenness and shame all because of what Jonathan did, not because of what he did. Jonathan's humility in taking care of David and serving David was the key. Jonathan could have been king, but he pushed David forward. And it was this kindness of Jonathan to David that ultimately resulted in David's kindness to the, to the grandson of Saul. And the bottom line is this. If you don't get this part of the story, you'll miss the whole essence of what the story in the Bible really is all about. David looked at Mephibosheth through the eyes of his relationship with Jonathan. The love that David had for Jonathan transferred to the love that David had for Mephibosheth. How does this relate to you and me? Very significantly. Because every one of us sitting here, we might as well write Mephibosheth across our own lives. All of us have been distanced from the king. We have brokenness in our lives. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. David described us in these terms in Psalm chapter 51 that in sin we were conceived. There's not a single person that comes into the world that is not a Mephibosheth living in the shame and guilt of our own sin, not deserving of the grace of God at all. But the beautiful thing is that God doesn't see us or think about us or treat us on the basis of our worth or our unworthiness would be a better way to say it. He responds and treats us and sees us on the basis of what Jesus did for us. In the same way that David saw Mephibosheth through his covenant with Jonathan, Jesus sees you. God sees you through his covenant with Jesus. Jesus was the way you and I get to God. It's the way that we receive the favor and the blessing of God. We gain access to the kindness, to the mercy, to the grace of God for Jesus' sake. Had it not been for Jesus, we would have no extension of mercy of God to us. It is God's love, his goodness and kindness and grace that moved him to send Jesus Christ into our world to bear the penalty for our sin, to establish the new covenant so that now we can come into the family. As surely as David saw Mephibosheth through the covenant he had with Jonathan, God sees you and welcomes you through the covenant he made with his son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross of Calvary and died for us. Do you know that the reason Jesus hasn't come back again yet and the day of judgment hasn't happened yet is because God is a gracious God, okay? That's the reason Jesus hasn't returned. You say, Pastor, are you sure about that? Well, let me just take you to the Bible. 
Listen to what Peter says about it in 2 Peter chapter 3. They were concerned of, about the fact that Jesus hadn't come back yet. Notice what Peter writes here. This means that contrary to man's perspective, the Lord's not late with his promise to return, as some measure lateness, but rather his delay, the fact he hasn't come back and the day of judgment hasn't happened, his delay simply reveals his, what does it say? His what? His what? His loving patience toward you. Because he does not want any to perish, but all come to repentance. He says, you know, I'm not coming back yet because I want to give some more time for people to repent. I'm not going to pull out the day of judgment yet and my judgment throne yet because it's, it's not time. I want to give people as many opportunities as possible to come to faith in Christ, to find the same forgiveness that we've experienced and the same grace that we've experienced. Paul writes about it in 1 Timothy chapter 2 as well. Same, same principle. He wants not only us, but everyone saved. You know everyone to get to know the truth. We've learned this is the message paraphrase, by the way. There's one God and only one and one priest mediator between God and us. Jesus who offered himself in exchange for everyone held captive by sin to set them all free. Eventually the news is going to get out. This and this only has been my appointed work. Getting this news to those who have never heard of God and explaining how it works by simple faith and plain truth. Amen. So God says, I want you to know that I've extended grace to you and I want you to learn something about extending grace to others because, here's the third point, grace changes others. Grace is what changes David sought out Mephibosheth, and he found him for one purpose, as we've already seen a few moments ago. There was one thing on David's mind when he found Mephibosheth, this broken, lame person living in Lodabar. And one thing motivated him, I want to show him kindness. I want to show him hesed. I want to show him mercy. I want to show him grace because of my relationship with Jonathan. And this is exactly what he did, but I want you to look with me again at what this grace, this hesed, expression looks like. Chapter 9 of Second Samuel again, verse 5. So David had him brought, had, had Mephibosheth brought from Lodabar. Come on up from Lodabar. From the house of Machir, son of Amiel. So he comes to the king's palace. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him. Let's stop there just for a moment. Do you know that when Mephibosheth came from Lodabar, having been requested to come to the king's palace, you know the only thing in, in Mephibosheth's mind, what did he expect to happen when he got there? He expected to be killed. He expected judgment because he's a part of the family that, all, that pursued David and tried to destroy him. He's expecting the worst. And David sees the fear on his face and he says, don't be afraid. Aren't you glad that when you come to God, some of the first words he wants to speak to you and words that he will often continue to speak to you is do not be afraid. You don't need to be afraid of God because he's the God of compassion and love and mercy. Now we fear him out of reverence to him. We honor him and we acknowledge our reverence of him, but we don't need to cower in fear toward him. So he says, don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you. Help me out, church. What is it? So what's David about to do? He's going to unpack this, this kindness 
I got you here because you don't need to be afraid because you're here because I want to give something that I've been longing to give. I want to pour out kindness, the hesed of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God to you. Uh, here is this kindness I want to show you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And notice here it, here it is. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth said, I can't even believe this is happening to me. I felt like I was a dead dog when I was arriving here, but suddenly I've discovered the beauty and the grace and the love of a king extended to me, and now all that my grandfather owned is now mine. All the land that was his now belongs to me, and not only that, but now I've been invited to eat at the king's table every day. I know where I'm having breakfast tomorrow. I know where I'm having lunch tomorrow. I know where I'm having dinner tomorrow night. It's all going to be at the king's table because he's invited me to eat. I'm one of his sons now. Everything was changed. Everything was transformed in a brief moment. Overnight, Overnight, this man comes from Lodabar, a place of devastation, a place of shame. Overnight, he comes to a new place, and suddenly now, because of the grace that has been extended to him, he has restoration in his life, and he has a meal every day of his life. His future is secure. He no longer has to live in shame. He's one of the king's sons. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word and make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. Hi, Pastor Dale O'Shields here from Church of the Redeemer. We want to invite you to be a part of Easter this year at our church. We're so excited about our Easter presentation. It's the life of Jesus through the eyes of Mary, and it happens April the 6th through the 9th. We have nine different presentations of this live, amazing drama that you don't want to miss. Tickets are available for you online at church-redeemer.org or at redeemereaster.com. Redeemereaster.com is a great place to get your free tickets. All the tickets are free, and there are nine different presentations. And We want to see you because we know this story is going to change your life.